This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong, and I have the pleasure, as always, of being here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson with Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm wonderful. Sam, everything good on your end? Doing good. Excellent. Excellent. That's what I like to hear. Hey, we're Mm -hmm. starting off the program on a great foot. And uh, to continue it on an even better foot, we've brought in a great friend of the program, and that is Rich Gwaltney. He is the Community Engagement Representative for Transitions Life Care. Rich, great to have you back on the program. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me again. You know, a lot of our listeners have heard your voice before. Mm-hmm. You, you've been on the radio. You're a popular guest. But maybe for those who don't know, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became a part of this conversation? Yeah, that'd be great. Well, I uh, serve as a community engagement representative uh, for Transitions Life Care. I've been serving in this capacity for going on eight and a half years. Woo. I love to tell people, and yeah, I know, it's, uh, time flies, and uh, <laughs> it's been an amazing journey. Uh, you know, my background was in a very wide field, education, ministry, spiritual care. We were overseas in Malaysia for five years, landed here, and walked in the front doors at Transitions Life Care, which was back then uh, when I started was known as Hospice of Wake County Mm -hmm. and when I walked in the front door I just wrapped my head heart and hands around the message and just tried to create uh, just unique ways to change the conversations in the community about what end-of-life care is and all the conversations that surround that and about the things that truly matter the most in life so yes I've kind of got thrust into that and just finding really my place and telling our organization's story but uh, just have been uh, really on an eight-and-a-half-year wild ride and journey to, uh, to engage people in about an eight-county area about these issues, and it's just been just been very exciting uh, time. Rich is definitely our uh, Transitions Renaissance man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, Rich, uh, we wanted to talk today with you about, uh, for those who don't know, there was a recent national holiday uh, on April 16th. So can you talk to us a little bit about uh, National Healthcare Decisions Day and what that is? I sure can, Sam. You know, April 16th was designated as National Healthcare Decisions Day, and as we all know and have heard throughout our lifetimes, there are two things in this world that are certain, and that is death and taxes. So uh, <laughs> someone in the, uh, <laughs> in the brain trust of ideas said, well, why don't we set aside a day after tax day each year to, um, to talk about death, dying mm-hmm. into care life wishes, things that are priorities and things that matter to us. And I think designating that day, um, again, as a pinpoint in the calendar for us to to market to, really it actually expanded from a day for us as an organization, really more to about a week, you know, Mm -hmm. just intense conversations and engagement in the community and also internally with our own teams uh, to have these much needed conversations, to break out these documents and to start talking about, you know, our priorities and our wishes uh, for our healthcare in those circumstances where we're no longer able to make those decisions for ourselves. So 
but yes, it's been a, a, a great conversation to have, and that's, uh, that's been going on for some time now. Mm-hmm. You had to remind me it's tax day coming. <laughs> why? 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 Um, can, t- can you talk to us a little bit about the Five Wishes document? You know, some people see these blue folders floating around or, you know, have seen it online. Mm-hmm. Or um, what are these Five Wishes documents that people are talking about, and um, what makes them unique? That's a great question, Mary. You know, we love this document, The Five Wishes. And I always like to start, whether it's in a presentation or a conversation like this, is just to help people know, one, we're not trying to put you into a new document. Um, I always tell people, you know, the best, uh, the best document you have for an advanced care directive is the one you currently have, meaning uh, you don't have to change and switch to this one if you just did one. But why we like The Five Wishes document, uh, the most concise way to tell is that it's referred to uh, both by Five Wishes organization and something we've been really out there telling the story about. It's referred to as the heart and soul of the living will. And by that, what we mean is that there are factors in these, especially the fourth and fifth wish in this document, which we can unpack a little bit of today. There are matters of deep importance that don't always make their way into your traditional living will, healthcare power of attorney. Uh, those are matters of importance with families, members, uh, things that you want your loved ones to know, ways that you want to be treated. And, you know, coming from my background, as I shared earlier, you know, I've been used to having conversations in different contexts and cultures about issues that matter the most to people. But it's that fifth wish, Mary, that makes this document so unique. And that is the thing I like to start on sometimes more than the first four wishes is, you know, what is it you want your loved ones to know? Because if there's anything we've learned uh, really camped around this threshold of end-of-life care is that there are matters of deep importance that we need to communicate to our loved ones, people in our lives who we need to forgive, some people we need to ask forgiveness from. Those are closure activities mm-hmm. uh, that we need to take care of. Others is, you know, are there people in our lives we want to thank and show gratitude to, but also who in our lives could use a, an expression of love from us. So as we start with that fifth wish of what we want our loved ones to know, that heart work is the hardest work. And if we'll do that homework on the front end, it makes conversations about, our living will, healthcare power of attorney, some of the legal and the medical, it makes those, it paves the way and cultivates just a real safe place for people to have conversations about these most important issues. Mm-hmm. So, it sounds like more of like a conversational document. Mm-hmm. It gets the conversation started between you and your family and your loved ones to be able to talk openly about these wishes. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely, Mary. Because I, I mean, I believe uh, it's not a it's not a one time process. Right. Mm-hmm. I often encourage people, just encourage folks that you know you and your family are going to best know how to navigate different relationships and pitfalls to avoid. Who's ready to have this conversation? Who wants nothing at all to do with it at this point? And how do you create conversation uh, spaces in those relationships where you normalize some of this? And I think that's what Five Wishes really does well, is that it creates that that context. And, you know, it's also important to underscore here, too, is that while not part of a traditional living will, it's also not something that if you were to pick up a copy of Five Wishes today, Mary, 
we're not saying that you have to write out all your family's uh, dirty laundry, <laughs> who, who hurt you and who you hurt. The idea is you don't have to write that out, get that notarized. Even the gratitude, the love, the life stories and the legacy you want to leave, it's really as a prompt to say, um, make sure you're communicating those issues that matter most. And, uh, and again, starting with that, it really starts to cultivate a longer-term path of making that conversation happen a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Rich, you talked briefly about uh, the fifth wish. Can you talk to us a little bit more for those who may not be aware what each of the five wishes are in this document? Yeah, absolutely. You know, in short order, I'll just list them, and then we can unpack them as you feel like we need to do that. You know, the first wish is the, uh, is the traditional living will. And I tell people the best way to look at that is that answers the who, uh, I'm sorry, the who question. Uh, is the first wish is actually the health care power of attorney. Forgive me. Uh, health care power of attorney answers the who question. Who do you want to speak for you if you suddenly become unable to speak for yourself concerning your health care and, and that you're going to receive? Um, the second wish is the traditional living will. That answers the what question. What is your philosophy of care? What is it that you either want done or do not want done? And uh, the third one is where we come in, uh, mm-hmm. transitions life care. When it comes to hospice and palliative care, how comfortable do you want to be? Uh, you know, actually, interestingly enough, Sam and I were in this conversation last week we with were. the group and the community. And we talked about this, and I like to tell people, when it comes to comfort measures, you know, some of my background I just shared with you, while I came from uh, kind of education, nonprofit kind of field, education and ministry and and community outreach, I tell people coming in the door, now, while I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, I'm also not the butter knife either. (laughs) I recognized when I came in, I needed to understand what words meant. And this word palliative, uh, as far as palliative care, kept coming up. And when I heard the definition of what palliative care word means, the word palliative comes from a Latin word, pallium, and it means to cloak. And the picture that comes with that is that imagine on a cold winter's day, someone were to take your grandmother's handmade quilt or comforter and were to wrap it and cloak you with it around your shoulders. Well, that's what palliative care does. It cloaks a person with comfort and care pain and symptom management, and not necessarily curative in nature. Now, the reason I take this moment today in this radio show for us to talk about that is there are a lot of what I call myth, you heard me, M-Y-T-H, myth understandings (laughs) of what hospice is and is not. So when someone gets to the end of life, and let's say you're unable to speak for yourself, you need to make sure your family knows your philosophy and understanding of what hospice and palliative care is. So that way they don't feel like they have to make that hard decision for you. And then lastly, Sam, just to wrap up the first four wishes, the fourth one is how um, wh- how do you want to be treated? How would you like your family member uh, to treat you um, at toward the end of your life? And that kind of normalizes people's behavior and uh, and just gives them permission to come into your room do you want people to pray over you, to sing, to read to you? Do you want pictures of your loved ones? And, and I literally heard a lady say once she wanted Elvis Presley playing in her room. <laughs> so, you know, whatever it is that brings you the greatest amount of comfort, gives your loved ones of all ages permission to say, hey, it's okay. If I'm unable to speak and I'm in this room, please come in, mm-hmm. hold my hand, talk to me, uh, care for me still. I'm still there and I'm still 
that special person in your life. So that's kind of the four of the five wishes Mm -hmm. in a very short synopsis. Well, Rich, we've got some more questions for you. This is Rich Gwaltney that we're speaking with, community engagement representative for Transitions Life Care. He's not the butter knife of Transitions Life Care. He's more of the J.A. Hankel's knife of of Transitions Life Care. And we're going to continue unpacking the Five Wishes document right after this. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk this is aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf with your hosts mary lucas and jason kong welcome back to aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care it's your life your care on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf news talk traffic don't forget you can always find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. And we have one of our own with us. I am Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson. On the line is Rich Gwaltney. He is the Community Engagement Representative for Transitions Life Care, and we are continuing our conversation all on the Five Wishes document. We are. So, Rich, we just talked about each of the five wishes, and you kind of went over each of those for us. So we want to get into a little bit more of the logistics of the five wishes document. So let's start out. Why should you fill out an advanced directive like five wishes? Well, that's a great question. And I think, again, coming back to a little bit of the heart and soul piece is, um, you know, these conversations with the people who matter the most in your life, concerning the issues that matter the most in life. Are these impor- are the important discussions we need to have? Uh, our hope, and while we would challenge you to, 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 uh, to create an advanced directive, communicate that to your loved ones, is we want to empower you to be able to exert really the most amount of influence over your health care, uh, especially if there hits that tipping point where for any season of time or moment, you're unable to speak for yourself so that you can live according to your priorities longer, what's important Mm -hmm. to you. And that way, and again, we have, in years past, we used to refer to this conversation we're having today as the uncomfortable gift. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's a difficult conversation for some people to have, but so important because the people that we've come across in our experience who uh, had advanced directives in place we're so glad that they had them and communicated it because it reduced the burden on them that they put on their loved ones to make decisions for them. And if you were to ask people who did not have them, 10 times out of 10, healthcare professionals or not, when you're faced with a decision of a, of a type of medical care, of let's say removing a loved one from a particular extraordinary you know, a measure mm-hmm. uh, to keep someone alive, And that decision you made without knowing their wishes eventually led to them passing from this life to the next. Who do you think really bears the burden there and feeling that they made a decision to end your life, that ended your life? And so the whole idea of why you want to do this is to, one, reduce the burden that we place on other people to speak on our behalf, two, to exert the most amount of influence on your health care, and to live according to your priorities longer. 
You know, there's a shifting definition of who is a caregiver, and I hate the word millennials, but there's a lot more millennials these days taking care of loved ones and, you know, helping their parents plan and even planning for their own future when they think about all sorts of things like retirement. Mm-hmm. You know, Sam, we, yes. we talked about retirement not that long ago, and I'm trying to early retire, Rich, so um, we've <laughs> yeah. got to plan these things now. Um, is there is it ever too early to think about five wishes and, and putting these documents into place, or when is the best time to start filling these out? That's a great question, Mary. And uh, it's, I don't think it's never, it's never too early. If you are 18 years old, uh, you know, when you think about when you went to college, uh, is that mm-hmm. as soon as uh, a, a young person goes to college, uh, you know, a parent and guardian, technically, because of FERPA, which we put side by side with HIPAA when it mm-hmm. comes to medical records and then, uh, and then educational records, an 18-year-old is completely responsible for their care, even if the parents are, uh, are taking care of or footing the bill for education or not. Uh, well, it's the same with their health care. So you are in the driver's seat as an 18-year-old. So whether you're going in for an appendectomy or you're going under for a surgery or something were, were to happen and you were in an accident and you are in a coma, uh, yeah, you want to make sure your priorities are in place. And those priorities may shift in life. You know, they may change from when you're 18 uh, to when you're 88. And <laughs> when that happens, according whether it's a diagnosis or a stage of life or circumstance, you know, our wishes for our health care may change when those uh, when those changes in our health care status, our health status changes. So I would say earlier the better, but obviously there's a, a greater sense of urgency the older we get. And sometimes it comes after a crisis or circumstance. We see it happen to a loved one or to a friend or someone in the media, and we're like, wow, I don't want that to happen to me if I can't speak for myself. So mm-hmm. that's, those are important little catalysts that happened in our lives. Yeah. So let's say, Rich, I'm 30 now. Uh, if I wanted to fill one out now, what would happen if, say, 10, 15 years down the road or even next month if I changed my mind on one of my wishes? Yeah, these documents are great, Sam. And by the way, you don't look a day over 29. <laughs> You're so you. kind, and, Rich. Uh, <laughs> 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 Let me just say this. What's great about these documents, we always tell people at the end of these conversations um, that um, if they have an advanced directive in place, uh, is to do two things, give and keep, uh, give copies to your loved ones, your, you know, your healthcare providers, people who will be most affected by them, um, and keep a copy of who you gave them to, because if there's a change that you want to make, you need to pull that list back out, (laughs) retrieve all those copies that become obsolete, uh, and then create a new document. Simply have that notarized, copied, and then sent back out. You know, we tell people, um, we tell people every time you get a D, uh, <laughs> that you should uh, that you should look at these. Well, what does that mean? Well, has it been a decade since you've done the documents? Uh, has there been a divorce, a death in the family, a change in diagnosis, or a decline in your health status? You know, those are just little gimmicky things to think about. But I have a colleague in the community. I heard her challenge at group once. You know, every time there's an election cycle or every time that, you know, you know, every two years or every four years, whatever it is, that's a reminder that says maybe it's time for me to pull those documents back out and take a look at them. So in conversations like today, Sam, I tell our listeners and I would say this to us in this room is that um, there's always something for us to do. So if you have documents in place, 
My question to most people would be, how well have you communicated those wishes to the people who are going to be most affected by them? So maybe you have homework to do to go out and have those conversations. And that includes those, you know, not leaving anything unfinished, said, or done on that fifth wish of gratitude, love, forgiveness. Maybe uh, maybe it's time you pulled one back out, though. And now let's look at it. It's been a few years. Maybe there's been a change. Maybe someone who was going to speak for me, my health care power of attorney, maybe they passed on, or maybe they're not really that close. Uh, who is that? So I need to make that change. So maybe it's time to look at one and then maybe redo those and make those changes. So there's always something for us to do, um, you know, in this conversation about advanced care directives. Mm -hmm. You mentioned having it notarized. When you have it, you've signed these documents, you've had them notarized. Does that make them a legal document and something that's enforceable? Yes, it's it's definitely a, a legal document, but it's one of those legal documents when I say my experience, in the conversations that I've been in over the years, I've heard stories on both sides that, you one, we all need to self-advocate for our own wishes. Uh, if we have a document, we need to make sure we're communicating what's written in there. We need to have that conversation, especially with the WHO, the healthcare power of attorney, the person who's going to speak for us. We need to make sure other people affected by it know who's going to speak for you, what those wishes are, where they are. And if, the, if you have someone in your family who doesn't want to talk about this, make sure they know at least what's in the document mm-hmm. or where it can be found. But as far as the legality of documents, absolutely. Um, the, the essential part, though, is to make sure when you go in for health care, whether it's emergency room or you're admitted to the hospital or you're living in an assisted living facility or retirement community, that the people who are caring for you know that you do have a living will or an advanced directive in place and then make sure that it's up to date, uh, notarized, copied, and given to the people who will be most likely geographically and practically there Mm -hmm. to care for you according to your priorities. Yeah. So, Rich, to kind of cap off our talk today, what would you encourage people listening today to do right now concerning their advanced directives? Well, really, what we just said, Sam, uh, is is if you if you don't have a document, what I would say and you haven't had an advanced directive, I would say um, go to fivewishes.org. That's a simple website. Go to the store tab and you'll notice that uh, that there are both electronic and paper copies that you can purchase, and they're, they're, you can fill them out, you can print them and fill them out, uh, and take a look and just familiarize yourself with what's in the document. Uh, if, if you're local and you're in the, the area that we serve, in the Greater Raleigh and the Triangle area, we'd love to help make some of those available to you as well. You can reach out to us. Uh, we've already given you the website at transitionslifecare.org. Uh, you can call uh, or you can actually email uh, a special ad, uh, email address. It's connect at transitionslifecare.org. Connect at transitionslifecare.org. Reach out to me, and we can make these documents available for you if you need them. So whether you want to do it yourself through the website or you'd like us to provide a copy, we'd love to help get that conversation going. Uh, But I will tell you this, if you don't have a copy or you haven't done an advanced directive, we believe the decision about who's going to speak for you 
is almost as important as mm-hmm. what you want done. So maybe this week even is why not sit down with the person that you think you'd like to have make these decisions. Just have coffee, virtual or in person, and just say, hey, I've been challenged to think about this, about my advanced care directive, you know, and just start the conversation with them. Have you ever thought about doing this? Do you know about these? Would you be willing to be (laughs) that person for me? And then start that process of filling that document out. As we mentioned earlier, the Five Wishes document is very user-friendly. It's very simple to understand. You don't have to have a medical or a legal uh, degree to, to be able to, uh, to understand them. But, um, but just simply familiarize yourself with it. Go through it the best you can and fill them out and have them notarized. But then, most importantly, have those conversations with the people in your life who are going to be most affected by what you wrote down. Because it's just so important for us to realize that the, the things that matter the life matter the most in life are not things. They're people. They're the relationships with the people we love and the people closest to us. So I would say conversation, but also action uh, on these documents. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We'll take some personal time as well to, to, uh, to help you and assist you in these. And very lastly, I would say, say this is this conversation that we're having today in conversation or interview form we actually have a menu of presentations and conversations we'd love to bring to your faith community, to your support group, to your caregiver support group. So if that's something of interest, you can also email us at that connect at transitionslifecare.org, and we'll talk about a way we can come and share this uh, as well as some other topics with you um, with your group, either virtually or in person. So. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Rich. And uh, I, I hope that plenty of people reach out to you because uh, you're excellent at what you do. That email address, again, that Rich gave out, connect at transitionslifecare.org, connect at transitionslifecare.org, or you can always look up contact information at transitionslifecare.org. He is Rich Gwaltney. He is Transitions Life Care Community Engagement Representative, and you can see why, because he does a wonderful job. We have to take a quick break, but we will be right back. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we're going to continue with our look at the the Transitions Life Care team and the expertise (laughs) there. We're happy to bring back on the show Mark Philbrick, Director of Education with Transitions Life Care, and we are going to focus on something very important that we often like to talk about on this show, and we're going to be talking about legal documents in particular, dealing with the health care power of attorney and living wills. Mark, thanks so much for coming back on the show. You're welcome. Great to be back. 
I love I'm we're gearing up for this National Healthcare Decisions Day and it's so exciting for um, for us to share this information with everybody. Mark, our healthcare system can be so challenging and to understand, especially when we encounter a sudden serious or terminal condition. It comes up in the work that we do and a lot of people heard it throughout COVID. Can you talk to us about some of the key things we need to know to be prepared for when that occurs? Yes, definitely. You know, we know that uh, death is the most inevitable fact of life, and we hate to hear it, but we're all going to die someday. You know, I've shared this before, that life itself is a sexually transmitted terminal condition, <laughs> and it's, uh, being an uncomfortable fact of life is also scary. And unfortunately, most people react like our three monkeys, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, thinking that if they just ignore death, it will just go away. Um, but knowing that over 3 million Americans will die this year, and since the pandemic, just two years ago, more Americans died last year than ever before. And our life expectancy has actually dropped by two years since the pandemic appeared. And unfortunately, only about 20% of Americans, less than one in five, actually have a written plan in place outlining their wishes for their medical care should they become incapacitated or in a vegetative state. Um, so not discussing their wishes really isn't working. So the good news is we can do really a couple simple things for our inevitable death that will ease the burden to our loved ones. Two relatively simple things I'd like to talk about today is first designating and writing who you want to be your healthcare power of attorney to speak on your behalf about your healthcare wishes when you're incapacitated. The second is creating what we call a living will that clearly states your healthcare interventions that you want or don't want should you become a vegetative state and no likelihood to survive to regain your consciousness. Mm -hmm. So the other good part of this is it doesn't require a lawyer to do these things, mm. even though they are legal documents. And I do want to say that I'm not a lawyer. And if uh, you so wish, I think verifying these with your attorney can also be helpful. That's good to know. So, Mark, what is the difference between having a power of attorney and a healthcare power of attorney? These are all big terms. Are they just different names for the same thing? Um, it can be confusing. You know, many people will say they have a power of attorney, and that's someone who's allowed to give legal authority to another person on their behalf. And there is a difference between a financial power of attorney, which authorizes an individual to make those financial decisions, However, you also need a medical power of attorney that allows for someone to make medical decisions. And so there is a difference. And the key differentiator is that the power of attorney, or what they also may refer to as a durable power of attorney, is typically focused on dealing with your financial issues, whereas a power of attorney for healthcare names the person, they're the person who makes those medical decisions on your behalf when you're no longer able to make them yourself. So both these um, are important to have, but they are definitely different. Hmm. You know, we always hear about these people or, you know, a healthcare power attorney, power attorney, we always hear about that role. And I've been talking to my parents about this, but is does that always have to be someone in your family or is there any benefit of not picking someone in your family to fill that role? It really just needs to be someone that you trust Mm -hmm. with authority to make those decisions and then will represent you legally 
on your behalf. I know in some cases, even with our own company here, we deal with hospice and dying every day. We do have people on our team that feel that their spouse is not able to make those decisions or emotionally would not be able to deal with those decisions when the time comes. So there can be a benefit by selecting somebody who is not as emotionally invested and also who will advocate on your behalf. So if you have a family member who really doesn't agree with what you want, it would probably be unwise to put them in charge to uh, implement your wishes when you're no longer able to do that yourself. That's good to know. So switching gears a little bit, what is the living will and how is that different from a traditional will uh, as in like my last will and testament? Right. Wills and living wills really serve a different purpose. A will is formally known as that last will and testament guides the distribution of your assets after your death. So the financial piece of what you want done with your assets and your property. In contrast, a living will guides end-of-life decisions that you're not able to make and declares who you want to make those for you. If you're, for example, in irreversible coma or declared brain dead. So it's really the first, the will, last will and testament, distribution of financial assets and property, the living will really relates to your own body, what you want done as far as the care of your body, what things you don't want done, and uh, those type of physical decisions about your personal care and health. That's very helpful to know. Can you describe some of the most important items that are covered in this living will? Yeah, absolutely. You um, can really put anything you wish to have as far as your medical care in a living will. You can instruct certain types of care and certain care not to be given. For example, you could instruct that you should not be put on a ventilator should you not be able to sustain your breathing. Other preferences uh, may include some things that are considered life-prolonging medical care, like blood transfusions, CPR, certain diagnostic tests or dialysis, um, drugs that may extend your life, such as antibiotics, and uh, use of respirators or surgery, where there's no probable positive outcome, that you know there is a tipping point in every illness where you begin the active dying process. And so this sort of designates what you want to have done or not done so that it's not extending your life. It may prolong your death and possible suffering. The other is food and water. Permanently unconscious people may live for a long time um, and by giving intravenous food or water can sometimes extend people in a vegetative state However, people who want to allow a natural death, doing that is actually counterproductive. And a third thing to think about in your living will is what kind of palliative care or how you want to deal with your pain and allowing a natural death. 
That is the voice of Mark Philbrick, Director of Education with Transitions Life Care, and we've been speaking about living wills and also uh, health care power of attorneys, and we're going to continue our conversation with Mark right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and our guest on the line, a familiar one on the show, Mark Philbrick, the Director of Education at Transitions Life Care. And we're talking all about the documents and decisions that we need to make when we're unable to make decisions for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We've been talking a bit about living wills, Mark, and I, I want to continue just for another couple minutes on that. Who should you give your living will to once you've created it and where should they keep it? That's a really good point. You can't use something you can't find. And uh, so it's really important to make sure that uh, this living will gets given, first of all, to your doctor, that this is a conversation you and your doctor ought to have together so they are clear on what your wishes are. And then making sure that your health care power of attorney, whoever you designate, has an updated copy of that. And also other family or friends in case that person cannot be reached in case of an emergency. Mm -hmm. Where to put it is also important. I recommend you do not put it in a safe deposit box because if something were to happen on the weekend, being able to access it and the banks are closed or, you know, we've run into situations where a family member in distress can't remember where they put the key to the safe deposit box. Mm -hmm. I, I had a really good suggestion came to us from a wife of one of our hospice patients and she created what she called the red book and it was just a three ring red binder that had little uh, plastic inserts to put her documents in and all of her papers were put in plastic sleeves the living will the health care power of attorney her insurance information the car titles all of that was in one binder and it was on her bookshelf So when there was a need, her children knew exactly where to go, and I've implemented that myself. I bought a little three-ring binder and told my kids exactly where they can find it, and it has all my documents in one simple place that's easy to grab. And a backup copy of that is also given to my three children, so they have it just in case um, it gets down to that situation. It's really good to know. So what happens, you know, this would be horrible, but what happens if I, if I become incapacitated and do not have a health care power of attorney in place or a living will? I know this is something we saw in the news a lot with COVID very early on when it was so dangerous and, and people were in the ICU and uh, et cetera. What happens if, if that becomes the case? Yeah, this is a really important point. In fact, we know from our research in the local hospitals, less than 40% of hospitalized patients in our service area have a written advance directive in their doctor's office or in the hospital. 
And so, fortunately, the state has made that determination for you. There's a North Carolina law, number 90-21.13, if you want to look it up. It provides a framework of which providers will determine who has this authority for incapacitated patients. So there is a legal pecking order that starts with first the valid health care power of attorney. So if you do not have a designated health care power of attorney, the next person in the pecking order would be a court-appointed guardian. Now, this is typically, you would see this in a patient who has um, advanced dementia, has been determined incompetent, may not have family members, or a minor. It could be an orphan or somebody who is uh, court-appointed to have somebody make those decisions on their behalf. So the guardian comes next. If there is no guardian and there is no health care power of attorney, then the spouse of the patient becomes the decision maker. If you have no spouse, then it turns into the majority of the patient's reasonably available parents and adult children. So if your parents are still leaving, they and the uh, adult children of the patient. Should you not have a parent or adult um, still living, then it's the majority of the patient's reasonably available adult siblings. So it goes from your children to your siblings. And then if you have no siblings, then it goes down to the individual established, anyone who has an established relationship with the patient who's acting in good faith for the patient and can reasonably convey the patient's wishes. If no one can be found to speak on your behalf, and this does happen on occasion, then if the patient's attending physician can provide that treatment with the consent of another physician. So it's two physicians making that decision. There is an exemption. If that second physician isn't available, if that delay in trying to reach another doctor would endanger the patient's life, then one physician, the attending physician, can make those decisions. So it's a pretty uh, established pecking order of who gets to make these decisions and in what order they can be made. That's very helpful. You know, I know a lot of these conversations with family members and friends even about illness and death are, are so challenging. It's something we talk about on the show. What has been your experience? You've been in this industry for a while and having these conversations um, also with your, your own family. And what tips do you have for mm-hmm. others? Yeah, it's... Um, I was fortunate in a sense in my own situation. Uh, My three children were um, teenagers when my father and brother both got terminal cancer at the same time. My dad moved into my home and with the help of hospice, I cared for him for three months. And so my children were with me and with their grandfather when he died. And they saw that we had gotten all these things in order. Uh, They were clear on how we did this. And it was really a comfortable, loving experience, being prepared for the end in mind. I do realize that's not typically the way this works. Um, And having worked now for 17 years in hospice, um, it is typical to see families not being prepared. So my recommendation to start the conversation is to be, um, bring this up for yourself first. So for me, having that conversation was introducing, here's what I want, having that conversation with my children, 
and walking them through what I wanted, what I didn't want. Um, you know, they, they jokingly call me Debbie Downer, like on Saturday Night Live, that, oh, here goes Dad with the death talk again. But um, it's so important to say sometimes, hey, we have to have a conversation about something that's not very comfortable, but inevitable. Also, there's a great game online called Go Wish Online. If you Google Go Wish Game, you can find it. And it's sort of like solitaire, and it's a series of questions about what you want or don't want. And as you go through these questions, it helps you outline having a conversation. You can do it as sort of a card game with family members to have these conversation introductions and uh, try to ease into that conversation in a less threatening way. Well, a card game sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Where should our listeners go to get more information on all of these topics? There are really three good sources. The first one is called fivewishes.org. Um, it is a free site. You can go. They have lots of resources, and they can walk you through this online. Another great website is called theconversationproject.org. And it addresses specifically what you just asked me about, how to begin the conversation with your family. And it's all one word, theconversationproject.org. And the third is our own website at transitionslifecare.org in a sense of locating if you have a loved one who is facing a serious chronic or terminal condition, considering asking your primary doctor to have a palliative care consult from a transitions palliative care specialist to begin the conversation about goals of care and advanced care planning. And they can walk through this in a very non-threatening and a compassionate way to really begin preparing the way for having that conversation in what we call a family meeting. And that would be, I think, one of the best ways to get this done and done professionally and well. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And those three websites, again, if you want to write them down, fivewishes.org, fivewishes.org, also theconversationproject.org, theconversationproject.org, and of course, transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. And if you missed any part of this episode and you want to grab it again, be sure to go to wptf.com, click on the podcast button, Find Aging Matters, and there you can listen to this episode as well as all the other episodes that we have done in the past. I want to thank Mark Philbrick, Director of Education for Transitions Life Care, for his time and expertise today. We are all out of time. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5, AM 680, WPTF News Talk traffic. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.